we have recently completed, at least for this summer, completed a series through the Psalms. We've, summer by summer, are making our way through the Psalms. And before we get back to our primary sermon series through the book of Luke, we have been taking five weeks to look at important questions about the Christian faith. So two weeks ago, we asked the question, is Jesus the only way to God? And if so, is conscious faith in him required for salvation? And then last week, we sought to answer the question, well, if salvation is the work of God, then why share the gospel? In other words, how do we reconcile God's complete sovereignty even in the work of salvation and human responsibility to share the gospel, to be faithful to that call of God? And this morning we want to look at another question. The question we want to look at is this, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, there are lots of ways that we could attempt to kind of answer that question, One of those ways would be to talk about how we are to live as Christians. That would be good, but that's not our focus this morning. One of the ways we could answer that question is to talk about kind of the ramifications in our life for being a Christian. But again, that's not our purpose. This morning, what we really want to get after is identity. What is our identity as a Christian? And there seems to be some confusion today, at least I observe some confusion, maybe you do as well, around the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the identity of a Christian? So, for example, let me just kind of give you four things that I think we hear and see that are, if we really look at these biblically, problematic. First, some will say a Christian is primarily one who strives to live a moral life working hard to put off sin and to fight against worldliness and ungodliness. Or, some will say, a Christian is really just a sinner, except they are a sinner who trusts in the salvation provided by another. Or some will say, a Christian is one who trusts in the finished work of Jesus, Therefore, doesn't need to worry anymore about the Lord because our sins have been paid for, have been covered. Therefore, we're good. Everything's okay. Or some will say a Christian is one who stands for the right causes politically or socially or one who works against causes deemed to be unchristian. And if you listen closely to the narratives around you, you probably hear these kinds of identities come up in conversation and may even come up in some of the language that we use ourselves. So for example, if you ask if someone is a Christian and they respond to you, well, I'm trying to be, or I hope so, it's likely that they are in this first category. They think that the identity of a Christian is fundamentally rooted in something they have to do, something they have to accomplish, and something they have to fulfill. And maybe this is where you live this morning. And if so, in the back of your mind, there's always kind of this running algorithm that's trying to factor in the sin that you have committed against the good deeds that you have committed, the faithfulness 
that you have committed. You're trying to make sure that the good outweighs the bad, that you're doing just enough to keep on the good side of God. And sadly, tragically, even some evangelicals who trust in Jesus end up living lives like this. We know we're saved by faith. Somehow I need to maintain my saved status. Kind of like receiving the undeserved gift of a new car, but knowing, okay, it depends all on me now of making sure it's maintained and that it runs. That would be those in the first category on the screen. Those in the second category know that they have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, but the dominant narrative in their lives is just how undeserving they are of the grace of God and how far short they completely and totally and continually fall to the glory of God. So if those in the first category error by thinking they can somehow maintain their salvation by their works, those here in the second category are so focused on their sin, so focused on their worthlessness before God that they miss the fact that they are in fact a new creation. So you'll hear things like, well, we're just a bunch of unworthy sinners. We don't deserve anything from you, God, and we're just, we're just lowly we're corrupt, we're horrible. How could you ever love us? Which is partly true. We do not deserve anything good from God. But again, those in this second category completely miss the new identity that is given to us by God through the work of Jesus Christ. They're stuck identifying as sinner when, in fact, the Bible identifies them not as sinner but as saint. So if those in the first category believe it's their responsibility to somehow maintain their saved status, those in the second category fail to understand their new identity, then those here in the third category fail to rightly understand the nature of saving faith. This third category up here on the screen is made up of those who call themselves Christians, have may even had an emotional reaction to the gospel at one time, but they fail to think and fail to desire and fail to live any different from those outside of Christ. But they aren't worried because after all, Jesus paid for my sin, so I'm good. I have my eternal kind of fire insurance from hell, and so it's paid off. I'm, I'm in good shape. I'll never lose it. Nothing will ever happen. I can live how I want. They like having Jesus as Savior, or so they think, but they completely ignore him as Lord. Then, in this fourth category, are those who identify as Christians, but only because they vote a certain way or stand for certain issues. Maybe they attend church somewhat regularly or even regularly, but there isn't true saving faith. There isn't a true allegiance to the Lord. And this is made obvious when they find it easier to be close friends with non-Christians who align politically than with fellow Christians who may vote for different candidates. Now here's why all of this is important this morning. Because our identity as a Christian is foundational in knowing whose we are, in knowing who we are, 
in knowing then how we should live and in knowing what our hope is for eternity. Let me say that again. Our identity as Christians is absolutely fundamental. It's foundational to know whose we are, to know who we are, to know then therefore how we should live, and to know what is our hope for the future. And so this morning is going to be all about identity. It's going to be all about foundation. So you might think when you leave here in just a little while, I knew all of that. And if that's you, then my prayer is that this morning you would just delight in the saving, sanctifying, adopting, justifying work of God through Jesus Christ applied by the Holy Spirit to your life. If that's not you this morning, pray that God would open up your eyes, transform your heart that you would see and that you would believe this morning. Identity matters. And so we're going to look here at this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this text that Ken so eloquently read for us. As we jump into 2 Corinthians, just a couple of notes of background. 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was the church planner and missionary. This letter is called 2 Corinthians because, oddly enough, it is the second letter that Paul writes to the believers in the ancient city of Corinth. And here in chapter 5 specifically, he is writing to encourage these Corinthian Christians with the truth that they have a new identity. They are made new. And because of their new identity, they have a new mission and a new purpose. But, but fundamentally, they are a changed people. In fact, I'm not going to read verses 14 through 21 because Ken already did that for us. But I, I think the center of gravity or the focal point of these verses is verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So what does it mean to be a Christian fundamentally? Well, fundamentally, it means being a new creation. So if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, you are fundamentally different than what you once were. It doesn't mean we always act different than we once acted. It doesn't mean that we always desire differently than we once desired. But it means fundamentally we are a new creation. In fact, prior to being a Christian, the Bible describes us with these kinds of pictures. The Bible says that before Christ we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Before being Christians, we were enemies of God. We were without God and without hope in the world. And we could go on. I mean, those are just some of the things the Bible says in describing our lives before Christ. But now, Christians are new. We're different. In fact, look at the way that Paul describes how this happened to us. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us <clears throat> because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now this is not rocket science, but just I want to point out the very simple fact that being new involves an end to the old. The new doesn't come without something happening to the old. And here Paul says it's because Jesus died. It's because there was a death. That's why something new comes. Notice even in verse 14 the way he says one died for all. He's referring to Jesus here. And at this point it's because Jesus has died for all or because Jesus died representing all. Then all who believe have died. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that all who are in Jesus, all who are Christians, died. Yes, that's true. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus died so we don't have to die. Well, that's true, especially in its final results. But to be specific, and we want to be specific this morning, Jesus died representing us to God. Therefore, we died in Jesus, our representative. Our old self, the Bible says, was nailed to the cross in and through Jesus Christ. As Sinclair Ferguson has said, Jesus didn't die so that we don't have to die Jesus died so that all who die in Jesus might be alive forever and may no longer face death and may no longer be subject to the eternal death to come. So Jesus died in our place taking on our sin, which means he also rose from the dead as our new life because we are in Christ. So we died in Christ If you believe, you died in Christ, and in Christ you were raised to new life. You were raised from the dead, just as Christ was raised from the dead. In fact, this is one of the the incredible pictures that we have in water baptism. So earlier this morning at the 9 o'clock service, we had a baptism, and it was glorious. Monica stood here and, and communicated her testimony and the saving grace of God in her life to redeem her And to make her new. And her obedience to follow the Lord in water baptism now. Communicating her union with Christ. That she has now died as Christ has died. And she is now alive as Christ is alive. And we celebrated that gloriously this morning. That's what baptism represents. In fact, this is so central to baptism. This reenacting of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That the most important part of baptism is not what the one being baptized says to the world, although that is important. The most important part of baptism is what the one being baptized is communicating to God or what God is communicating about the one being baptized. This is one who has died in my son and in whom I have brought back to life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we picture that even this morning through the words, as I said, buried with him in death and raised to walk in newness of life. 
We celebrate that. The one being baptized is reenacting the work of Jesus that makes salvation possible. The work of Jesus that unites us to him. We are buried in our sin. We are raised to life as a new creation. And this means that all of us who are in Christ are a new creation. Like brother or sister, if you have repented of your sin and you are trusting in Jesus Christ as the only means by which you can be made right with your creator giving your allegiance to him, then you are, the Bible says, a new creation. You are not what you once were. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And all this is from God, according to verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. In fact, look at verse 18. All of this, This new creation work, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how are we made new creations? We are made a new creation through the plan of the Father, which was accomplished by the Son. In Christ, God was reconciling the world back to himself, not counting our trespasses, not counting our sins against us. So the way that we are made a new creation is through the plan of the Father, who reconciles us to himself through God the Son by not counting our sins against us. And the way that he doesn't count our sins against us is by something Jesus does. Something that involves Jesus' death, as we've already seen. Verse 21 gives us those specifics of how that happens, how that takes place. Again, for our sake, verse 21, this is a verse worth memorizing. I mean, all the Bible is worth memorizing, right? You're going to get probably more out of this than some of the genealogies. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God the Father made God the Son to be sin even though he was without sin. He was perfect so that in Jesus, God the Son, we who believe might be the righteousness of God. Now, step back for a minute because you're thinking, okay, it's not yet noon on a Sunday morning, and this is really heady, it's really deep, it's really complex, really theological. We got new sixth graders in here, right? Welcome. We're glad that you're here as your first Sunday being promoted up. Not every Sunday do we go quite this deep. I'll follow along because this is important, and it's important that we be detailed and that we be specific because We are talking about the way in which we are eternally saved from the wrath of God by the saving work of God. We want to be specific. For example, if you you went tomorrow to the doctor, and we pray that none of this is true of, of you tomorrow or at any time in the future, although some of this is true 
some of you, you've been here. If you were to go to the doctor tomorrow and the doctor were to diagnose you with a terminal illness that would result in sure death, but also outlined a remedy whereby you might be completely healed, you would not be content with just a vague general idea of how you might be saved. Like, well, honey, I think the doctor, she said something about uh, changes to what I eat or something, and I need to, there's some medicine or something I'm supposed to take, and some sort of regimen, and I, I need to do this treatment plan thing, and I'm not really sure, but yeah, I'll kind of give it my best effort. No. You'd be a fool, right, to do that. So how much more when we're dealing with our eternal soul? Do we, we want to be specific. We want to understand specifically what the Bible says regarding the nature of how God saves sinners. And so to do that, I want to introduce to you or reintroduce to some of you or remind some of you of a, a biblical word. This will be your, our vocab word for the morning. And the word is Imputation. This is a really important word to know. Imputation is setting to someone's account or reckoning something to another person. So this afternoon I take $500, decide, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reckon that to Kevin Nadinger's bank account. So I go to my PNC app and I reckon it to Kevin's account. I've I've imputed $500 to his account that wasn't there before, that's now credited to him. That's what imputation is. And theologically, follow me this morning, theologically there are three imputations that are significant, that involve what it means. These are the details of how, if you are a Christian, how you are saved. If you are not a Christian, how you can be saved this morning. The first imputation is that Adam's sin is imputed to us. This is true of every human that has ever walked on the face of the earth except Jesus Christ, who is the Holy Son of God. For all the rest of us, Adam's sin in the garden is imputed to us. It's credited to us, right? Thanks a lot, Adam for crediting your sin to us. But the Bible is so clear, Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Adam's sin is imputed to humanity. In fact, Paul in Romans 5 says it like this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Adam's disobedience in the garden, his sin is applied to all of humanity. He was the representative head for all humans, the federal head, if you want to use the fancy theological term. He was the federal head of all humanity. Because Adam's sin, as our representative in the garden, right? It's like the captain for the coin toss. The whole team is bound to whatever the captain calls. If they win the toss or lose the toss. The whole team is bound because the captain represents the team. Adam represented us. Now, if you are thinking here this morning, well, that's not fair. Like, I don't want a representative head. I want to stand on my own, right? We're Americans after all. We're independent. 
We don't want anyone else to represent us. Let me just offer a couple things for you to consider before you arrive at that conclusion that you don't want a representative. You want to stand on your own. The first is that even apart from Adam, you and I have committed enough sin on our own to forever damn us away from God for all eternity, to separate us from God for all eternity. Like We don't need Adam's help. Because the Bible is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We did that on our own. But the second and most important thing I would bring to your attention, if you really don't want a substitutionary representative in Adam's sin, you want to stand on your own, you cannot have a substitutionary representative in Christ's sacrifice. The same instrument, right? The instrument of a representative substitute is used, whether it's Adam imputing his sin to us or Jesus imputing his righteousness to us. Both ways, we have a representative substitute who is representing us, and we get the consequences or the benefits of that representative head. So it is a good thing that we are represented. That's the first imputation. All have sinned. We are all counted sinners. In Adam, we have all of our own volition chosen to sin. But Adam's sin is imputed to us. The second imputation, and this is where it turns now to good news, is that our sin is imputed to Christ. This is the clear teaching of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we looked at this morning. God made him to be sin. right? His son. God made Christ to be sin. Christ takes on our sin even though he knew no sin. So the triune God imputes our sin to Jesus even though he was without sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, verse 24 says it like this. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. See, we die. That we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. If you are a Christian here this morning, you are following Jesus Christ this morning, you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone by faith this morning, your sin has been imputed to Christ. It is lifted from your record and it is put on the record of the Holy Son of God. Now, he doesn't commit your sins. He doesn't become sinful because he is still the Holy Son of God without sin. But our sin is counted on his account and he goes to the cross And he pays the penalty for our sin. He reckons that account. Our sin is imputed to Jesus. This brings us to our third imputation. That is that Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. This is the glorious two-way kind of street of conversion. Of God's work in saving sinners. As he takes away our sin, 
wave farewell as it travels down the road, the, the consequences of our sin, the wages of our sin, which is death, and he places it on his son, Jesus Christ. And at the same time, do you know what passes on that road? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's righteousness that are now sent and applied to our account. Not, just like sin with Jesus, not so that we internally become righteous through and through and we now don't sin and we are morally completely clean, but we are now counted in the sight of God with the righteousness, the rightness, the moral perfection of God the Son, Jesus Christ. So that when God looks at us, even knowing our failures and our flaws and our sins, even as Christians, he doesn't choose to count that against us. But when he looks at us, he looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are counted righteous. Thank the Lord. And this is ours, not based on how well we obey God, but it is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they point towards it, but the righteousness of God is ours through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You can be made right with the creator God. You can be forgiven of your sin and counted righteous by the God who created, in one word, the cosmos. That is yours by faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who for our sake became sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in him, we, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And this threefold imputation, Adam's sin to us, our sin to Christ, Christ's righteousness to us, this is all the work of the triune God. The Father, God the Father planned redemption in eternity past to save a people for himself through the provision of God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be applied to all who believe through the life-giving, transforming work of God the Spirit. So the Father plans redemption, the Son accomplishes redemption, and the Spirit applies our redemption. This is all the saving work of God. Lest we think there's somehow an angry Father who is wrathful, And a loving son who steps in between us sinners and an angry father and absorbs the blows as though that were some sort of cosmic child abuse. No, all of this is the plan and the working of God. Wrath for sin is an attribute of all three members of the Trinity. And loving grace and saving work is an attribute of all three members of the Trinity the praise of God's glorious grace. So you can see that the work of God in saving us involves not only these three imputations, but it's the work of the three persons of the Godhead. And you can see how it's rooted in something that actually happened. Right? It's not just ethereal. 
God doesn't just change our identity like, um, today you're going to no longer identify like this. You're now going to identify like this. No, it's rooted in something that actually happened in real space, in real time. The holy son of God came and took on flesh and was born in Bethlehem's manger and lived without sin, perfectly and obediently fulfilling the law and willingly died on a cross in our place for our sin. Our sin imputed to him. And he was raised from the dead for our justification. That we might be the righteousness of God by faith. And therefore, our identity as a Christian is not a sinner. It is in fact a saint. I'm sure that probably this term sinner, saint thing is probably just, I probably go overboard on it. But we all have our pet peeves, right? And I have yet to find where the New Testament ever refers to those who are in Christ as sinners. It refers to those who are apart from Christ as sinners. But it never refers to those who are in Christ as sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We're not. Some of you are. And we pray today that you would trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. But those of us who are in Christ, do we still sin? Yes. Do we fight against sin? Yes. Are we sinners? No. Instead, the term that is used to describe Christians in the Bible are saints. If you are in Christ, your primary identity has changed. You are no longer regarded by God and by the church as a sinner. You are no longer regarded by God and the church based on what you once did and who you once were. Praise the Lord. Like I was a creep, like most of you in here, apart from Christ. Praise God for his glorious work that we are not what we once were. And you're thinking, well, you know what? I I was a pretty moral person like before Christ. I love my family and did my job well and lived a moral life, upstanding life, praise the Lord for that. But you still need the saving work of God in your life. The God who changes our identity. In fact, this changed identity is described several ways in the New Testament. Saints is one of them. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of them. Temple of the Holy Spirit is one of them. One of my favorites it's actually from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Pastor Nick Rogers was gloriously kind of pointing this out this week as we looked at the text. We are called children of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Jesus himself called those who are outside of Christ children of the devil, which is not a term I would recommend walking around telling people. But Jesus used it. The Bible clearly says that if we are in Christ, we are not just tenants in the kingdom of God. Like, I'm just going to kind of set up my shack out here and try to lead a quiet life because, you know, I'm just grateful to be here. No, the Bible says the king beckons us to his table. Right? Like, once your enemy is now seated at your table, we are made children of God. 
So what it means to be a Christian is to be one who is made new through the work of God. We are forgiven and justified and counted righteous and adopted. We are made a new creation. That is what is fundamental. We live as people who have a new allegiance, a new loyalty, a new identity. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And so, yes, we do seek to put off the deeds of the flesh and put on the obedience of Christ. We seek to walk according to the Spirit and make no provision for the flesh, for our old self. But that's not so that we can be Christians or so that our identity might change. It's because our identity has changed. So if we go all the way back to the beginning of our time, 40 minutes ago, we kind of look at these same four categories that we started with, and I, I didn't ask Robert to do this, but he may put that slide up anyway. Is a Christian primarily one who strives to live a moral life, working hard to put off sin and to fight against worldliness? No. Do Christians strive to live faithful, obedient, God-honoring lives, yes. But we are not primarily identified with what we do or don't do. We are primarily identified with whom we are in. We are in Christ. We are a new creation. So yes, we put off the flesh and we put on Christ and we walk by the Spirit and we seek to walk in obedience and we repent of sin We do so out of love. We do so because we've been adopted as children into a family. We want to take on the family characteristics. We want to look more and more like our Father who saved us and whom we love. We want to delight in Him. Or secondly, is a Christian really just a sinner except they're a sinner who trusts in the salvation provided by another? Well, We do trust in the salvation provided by another, but we are not fundamentally a sinner anymore. We do sin, yes. We fight against it, yes. But we are now saints. We are children of the Most High God. Is a Christian one who trusts in the finished work of Jesus, therefore doesn't worry about the Lord now because Jesus' work is done? No. Because it, it means that we misunderstand, we cheapen, we minimalize our sin, and the gracious work of Jesus Christ who has saved us and redeemed us through no work of our own. Like when we begin to grasp that, and I pray even this morning that this sermon, which might seem so fundamental and so basic and so, yeah, we all know that, but my prayer is that it would just deepen our joy and gratification to God in what he has accomplished in saving us. That out of that joy, There would be a desire not only to worship him as Savior, but to worship him as Lord, as King. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, which has ramifications for my life because of my new identity. And fourth, is a Christian simply one who stands for all the right things, works against all the wrong things? No. That is not simply who we are. Once again, we are not what we do. We're not what we're for or we're against. We are united in Christ Jesus through the saving work of God the Son. It's applied to our hearts by God the Spirit and the plan of God the Father. Which means those of us in this room, regardless of political ideology or philosophical ideologies or interests or preference or background or education or 
any of those things. We have a, a unity. We have a connectivity. We have a bond here as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and with other believers and other gatherings this morning all around the city and all around the world that we share in common, a core of which is stronger even than the bonds that we have with even family members or friends who are not in Christ. Like You're a new creation, I'm a new creation. How are you a new creation? Because Jesus saved me. How did he save me? Well, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him I might be the righteousness of God. Amen, me too. This is my story, right? This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.